G'day, everyone. Welcome to Talking Leadership. This is Eric Perez welcoming you back. By way of introduction, today's guest is the Chief Visionary Officer for The Vision Guy. He's also the founder, owner, and director of Paradise Rescued. Welcome to the podcast, David Stannard. How are you, David? Thank you, Eric. Yes, uh, good evening to you, and uh, thank you and welcome. Yeah. Let's get things started with the question that I ask at the start of all these podcasts is, can you maybe share with us your journey to being a leader? What got you to the point of thinking about starting the the vision guy and then to moving on to Paradise Rescued in a hundred words or less, mate? Oh, that's going to be uh, that's going to be way too difficult for a hundred that, words. That's okay, mate. Then give us a long form version. I mean, leadership is is a journey, and it's always, you know, um, my sort of, if you like, journey to leadership. Well, no, you have to start as a leader, and you have to grow, and you you hopefully get better at it as you go. I mean, my journey probably in the leadership space started through my background, which is as a chemical engineer working pretty much in the petrochemical industry. So I started off working for, for Shell and was fortunate enough to be in the thick of a lot of a lot of things at a, at a fairly young age. But probably in terms of starting with leadership, it would be in, yeah, like I'd have been about the age of 30 and I was asked to lead a a team that I think everybody hoped would just go away. It was a series of production plants in the forgotten part of a major petrochemical location in the UK. And everybody just assumed that um, you know, either I'd muck it up or it just wouldn't wouldn't happen too well and it would have to be be cut and gone, as was the, the trend back then. Um, so I'd have about 120-odd people coming off a very interesting um experience and exercise in in downsizing a complete industrial site from five and a half thousand down to about two thousand five hundred um, and you know that, that sort of that era has almost been forgotten um, but there were some significant changes in the way people worked back in those days and the technology advanced so that was probably my first experience where you you really started to learn about how to be a leader subsequent to that i've worked in the in the netherlands and then on to australia and continued in that that petrochemical space although shell got out of most of that i've worked for what i would call you know um, hand-me-down organizations in that space since the paradise rescued thing though is is something very very different because it's not a not a public limited company or anything like that so the you know you wanted to do something you developed a passion or there was a need a requirement to do something and you certainly in that space then had to really think about how to to do leadership because in a lot of cases people are doing it not for a job purpose that pays them money people are doing it because there's a love to achieve what is a community goal and that is the sustainability of our little village um, in which we do here and the route to doing that is actually through maintaining and sustaining a vineyard and using that to produce fine organic wine that we export now to the world so uh, getting people to do stuff or having stuff done or making stuff happen is really different in that space because you just can't tell them you'll fire them with, a, with no paycheck if they don't. That doesn't work. It's a totally different game. So it's been a great journey. And um, the, you know, the corporate career in petrochemicals is behind me now. And, and I'm working full time, obviously, on, uh, on Paradise Rescued. And the vision guy came out of that whole adventure in those other two, two, two areas. Okay, um, I'm interested to ask then because you ma- you make an interesting, I guess, distinction is 
probably the best word between leadership in a paid capacity and leadership in a passion project type scenario. And I'll get back to that a little later, but let me ask you this. From your experience, David, and, and you've sort of straddled the, the corporate sector leadership from your introduction and now you've gone into your passion project, if maybe that, that's the right term for it. How do you define leadership? This is a two-parter. So in defining leadership, can you tell me in the early part of your career, what would you have defined it as, if I can ask you to do some hindcasting for me? And now that you've lived some life, you, you've had some experiences, do you think that definition has changed over time for you? I think inevitably, when you're you're young and uh, you're in a certainly in a corporate environment, you're encouraged to to think in a certain way, and that principally starts off from being from a more from a management angle, where everything is focused on. And I think the best word I can use is efficiency. What I certainly did learn in that, particularly in that very first let's call it a leadership role, management role, if you will. I, you know, they're always going to be a mixture of both. But I certainly learnt about leadership in, and principally that came about through trying to work out what the future was for the small little group of plants that I was asked to look after. None of them really related to one another very well. There was no real synergy other than geography that put them all in that space. And um, I was working with different business units and, and trying to work out really where that, that future space was for them and what would be the best productive use of those assets and how we could, could get a, you know, a sustainable future out of that through, yeah, working out the business model and, and starting to, to get some, some profit in there. And that was sort of part of the journey that, that's taken me down the road then. But you would have started, as we all did, from a management model that was handed down to you from the people around you. And then you've learned at it. And Shell was a great company to work for in that space because still in those days, they did do a fair amount of what I would call um, business leadership and management training. So you did get the opportunity to see to that. I think probably the thing that, that turns you most in that space, particularly when you've worked through a, a massive restructuring activity, is the way in which you look and think about people. And that, you know, to be honest, it's you're making money out there, but at the end of the day, what, what's the reason for doing that? Um, the reason for creating something is not just not just to make money. It is also about providing wealth, an environment for people to work in that can also achieve something meaningful with their with their lives, and through which they can also achieve massive amount of purpose. In that, that they can see that there's something they really enjoy. And I've been very fortunate to work in an industry that's been well paid. And um, despite all of that, you still get a lot of people who get a lot of passion out of it. And although discussion go off track into it's all about the money. I see some people do some extraordinary stuff because they love doing what they do. And part about it being a leader is about creating that environment that helps them love, do what they do, and then achieve exceptional results. Is it fair to say in your travels, you morphed in some senses from working for others to then being a leader in your own right and doing something that you were passionate about? Was that part of your journey, David? Yeah, look, I think certainly there is part of that in there, um, Eric. There's, you know, um, initially when you do start out, you you get a lot of clarity probably handed to you that, you know, these are the boundaries. But, I mean, I, I found certainly that even at that early stage that I was very fortunate to, to be given enough freedom to operate. So where I could see ideas coming up 
um, and then things that could be, you know, I, I don't like the word, but exploited, that they could, you, you know, there was opportunities that could be taken, then um, that was something to work on. Um, there were still hard decisions still to be made. And part of that, and part of that was still leadership as well. That if something really was going to be totally uneconomic and not going to happen, then you had to find a way to to manage that out in, in some shape or form. So that still required leadership because it required a decision to be made and to be followed through within the manner that was reasonable, practical, and took account of you know a number of views and the number of people that were involved. But it does evolve over time. Um, but more and more, you can see the divergence between management and leadership, and you can characterize the two. I mean, I do it very simply. For me, leadership is about effectiveness and management is about efficiency. And uh, the two do straddle. Um, but you're starting to see some of the writings out there really looking at this topic now. I mean, you know, if, if you think of someone like Simon Sinek talking about the infinite game, he's absolutely talking about the difference between management and leadership, focused on looking at a number of US companies and their performance and results and gone, guys, we're only thinking about being managers here and you're only looking at your own salary and getting a, a share, um, a stock value you know, at the end of the quarter or whatever it is that looks good. So as you get another bonus paid, that's not leadership. <laughs> leadership is about, you know, creating something that is sustainable and continues to add, you know, wealth and benefits to the world we live in. You've brought something into play here that I've not heard in these other podcasts and this idea about sustainability in leadership. And I'm not talking about environmental sustainability, but I think you may mean something different. Can you maybe tease that out a bit for us? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I, I hear it every day and, um, and this is quite fascinating because of what I certainly do in Paradise Rescued is about trying to create and sustain this village. And everybody thinks, well, that just means you're organic. It means you don't spray different certain chemicals around and go, uh, no. And, and I see this all the time. I mean, there was just before I left uh, from Australia to, to come to France, it was fascinating where I was living and you just walked around and you saw things like, um, you know, it's a sustainable dog parlor. And I, and I, I kind of, yeah, like I've got it. And I'm glad that somebody's trying to do something in that space to continue to improve the environmental performance. But no, sustainability is much more, more broad about this. And I'm pretty, pretty aggro and upfront on it. It, it. It's a whole raft of things. And the best place to go and have a look at that is there's a fantastic page and website on the United Nations really looks at the whole gannet of this thing. I mean, you know, we, we talk about diversity and that can be diversity at, a, at an ecological level, like I do in a vineyard here. Or this is diversity of people and diversity of, of leadership, um, balance between male and female. It can encompass a whole series of things in terms of, you know, world-class education and opportunities, eliminating discrimination and, and all of that. This whole thing is in the package. But at the same time that is really important is that when you're talking sustainable and you're talking about the environment, one of the things you have to be very careful of is to not be an environmentalist in that space. Now, that will get you a number of different bad reps for your blog. But at the same time, it's important to recognize that we're doing something which helps the future of the world. And it's not something which is a short-term fix, which creates another problem somewhere else. We've got to look at the much bigger picture in this thing and move the whole lot forward together. But I agree with you. I hear the word sustainable used every day as a short-term green word for uh, environmental improvement. It's good, 
but it's not the whole picture. Do you believe, again, drawing on your own experiences here, that leadership is a lonely road or is it as lonely as you make it? I think uh, loneliness <laughs> in the whole of life is can be, uh, to some extent, what, what you make it to be, Eric. I can see examples where it's lonely, but I can probably also I'll throw back at you the quote that I probably, uh, and I'm a great supporter and fan and learned a lot about leadership from, from John Maxwell and his his work. And But he would talk about, well, you know, if as a leader you're you're out for a walk and you've got no followers behind you, then yes, you're just out for a walk. <laughs> In that is it. It is about leadership is about that ability to, and the words never come out quite correct, but to take people with you on, on that journey. And to a large extent, you're also going to be involved with setting that direction. So there's a mixture of skills in there that you need to acquire and, and you know that they are learned skills about how you work with people and how you communicate in a way that takes them with you on that journey and there, there comes a time in that journey where some people have to get off the bus and you put new people on but at that same time it is still about taking people on that journey and um, you know unfortunately in the world we live in leadership gets to look like politics well, the world of politics has moved on a hell of a lot from when we think about people being real leaders in the international or national space. Politics is a career um, today. It's not something you do because you have a passion to lead your country in a particular direction to take it to a better future. So let, let me ask you something, David. Measuring success, there are any number of ways to do it on paper around numbers, and I'm not naive to understand that that is a measure of success. You know, if you're making profits, if you're giving back to the business, if you're keeping people in employment, there's a measure of success. But is it more than just the numbers for you? Yeah, and we also have to be be careful here that leadership isn't just about how companies are run or how countries are, are, are run. You know, and it's not also, as we almost tapped on there, it's not just about being popular. There are decisions that, that do need to be made. But at the end of the day, it is still about leadership is about setting a particular direction. And part of what I've sort of learned on that journey, and that's why the vision guy was was created, was because that was one way of capturing what a future would look like. And once we'd sort of also worked out that visual media, particularly the relationship between visual media and our own brain is much stronger than any other sense that we possess, it became relatively straightforward, <laughs> relatively, he says, to, to suggest and propose that if you want to do something and create something, then the most powerful way to capture that is as a picture. And the emotion within that picture will, will tell you where that future is, given that you can't exactly pinpoint it. But if you want to know what your future is, then you have to start designing it. And a measure of success certainly in there is about how you get to that position and how you achieve it and whether you achieve it. Given that there's a lot of things in life that knock you off course, you know, the, the COVIDs of the world and all of this sort of thing. But they're just they're just speed bumps. The ability of the leader is still to, to take a team on a direction and to help them get over those speed bumps and to keep them going forward to a place where initially the leader has created probably the vision, but which the team or the group or the whatever, the organization or the family think is the right one to be and to, to help and coach them along the route there. And if you get there, I think that's probably success. Inevitably, you'll never achieve quite 100% of what you achieve, but you know, it's a good tangible thing to work. David, leader capabilities. Do you have a, mm. a set of those capabilities that you think are critical for what you might call leadership success? 
no is the straight up answer to that I, I sort of thought about that a lot look i think the there are certain characteristics that go with that i mean if you you know there's plenty of books out there you'll give you, you know the, the number of irrefutable laws of leadership and how many you have to learn and inevitably you're not going to be great at all of them and hopefully you're pretty good at some of them it's certainly that relation in with people that is that is kind of critical and again we all do it good or bad or indifferently with with different people with whom we gel and with whom we don't gel but certainly it starts with the people i think it also starts and it's closely forgotten these days unfortunately with a certain amount of humility you know what a team creates is not because of the leader is a genius um it's because the team has contributed most likely to working really well on a vision that probably the leader was able to pull together either from the team or through some of his own inspiration or others to 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 meet a set of circumstances and challenges that came up but certainly it's look it's in that people space where the the difference is made and to continue to learn on on how to do that and to take people on that journey such even at the end of it that they feel they're making a wonderful contribution which everybody likes to do and you know, to feel that they're actually part of it. And it's not just a reward. It's not rewarding people with money. It's about making that contribution and feeling their own particular pride in it. It's an interesting response, I have to say, because I haven't had anyone yet. And maybe you've opened the floodgates here, sort of say to me, no, there isn't really, I don't have a list. It's just a feeling that it's around the people. And I tend to agree. I mean, for, for me, the, the things I've been doing in my studies have been very focused on two particular leader capabilities. And, and you've talked about them without actually saying them in, in a roundabout way. And that's uh, foresight and strategic thinking. That foresight is around being able to imagine possible possible realizable futures and strategic thinking is in a very crude way is how do you paint the roadmap to get to those particular visions or possible futures and to me they're critical but the the bit the the, the other bits that I, I haven't really looked at in in my research studies because i just couldn't do every conceivable leader capabilities and there are many out there i, I think the ones that are of interest to me more and more is the this thing about communication uh being able to uh communicate to those that you lead where you want to get to and uh many many of my guests have talked about being able to tell a story, being a good storyteller. And I think Aussies do that well. I'm being parochial here, but I think Australians, and, and you would be aware of this given yeah. that you lived in Australia, that uh, being able to, to craft a story is a good way to get you there as well. So so comms and, and the people element of leadership are those two areas that I haven't really looked at in, in a lot of depth in, in my research. But I believe from these podcasts, this podcast process, and I, I can only draw on my own experiences here, that everyone to some degree or another brings up communications and leadership being about the people that you're working with. I mean, the thing that I've sort of closely worked on, particularly as the, as the vision guy, is, is what I call the success trifecta. Uh, the three things that make, uh, they can make families, individuals, organizations, companies, whatever you, 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 you want successful. And again, as you've commented on, we're going to be really careful on defining success. You know, it's not just about, a, you know, what's in your bank account. That, that's just, that's just, it's just a nonsense. We talk about the having vision, mission and passion and to get those three to overlap it's a very straightforward uh, nice venn diagram and to get those three to overlap into you know that uh, zone in the middle i call is the is the dna because if you can get that into an organizational family you can achieve things way way beyond your individual capabilities and um yeah so it's that dna that you find from that comes from having a clear vision which is where you're going 
what you want to achieve, uh, the mission, which is the why, almost the justification, but the purpose, and that passion and energy that, that comes comes with it. Um, and I, I think those, for me, those three things have become very critical. And one other thing I'd love just to pick up on there, and you talked about direction versus strategic thinking. There's a little phrase that uh, we've invented, and it's there's some pretty good reading stuff out there. And that is that, you know, if you... Strategy without vision is like archery without a target. If we need to repeat that one, you have to think about it, write it down and look at it. But if you haven't got a vision, a strategy is absolutely useless. But we do have this thing in the, you know, in the corporate world, we've got the right strategy. But if you don't know where you're going, you're just going to end up where you're headed. And the strategy will just probably get you there faster. <laughs> yeah, this, 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 this comes from Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, the Cheshire cat sits in the tree and goes, Alice, where's she going? I don't know. Well, then, anywhere you go, we'll be perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, look, I'm I'm a little bit stumped here, but yeah, that's the the most sick way to put it, and the the need for strategy and foresight. I mean, you know, from an academic standpoint, you 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 try and find ways to make these things real, so you you can try and uh, what's the word? Find what these phenomenon look like in a group of leaders, which is what I've tried to do in in my research. And when that's ready for publication, then I'll, I'll look forward to people critiquing me on it. But yeah, I think you, as much as companies around the globe in Australia locally spend money on creating business plans and doing strategy and thinking about the way to make the plan work. I think at times, not every time, I, I can't say every time because that would be disingenuous of me to say that, but I think sometimes we're not thinking about what is the future we're trying to aim for and what's the possible future we can get to that's realizable versus the many wishful thinking futures that you're never going to be able to get to for one reason or another. And uh, I think that's where the, the heart of research lies in this area is that people are still asking those questions and, and looking at the disconnects there because let's as a, as a scenario a very simple one you, you could spend a lot of time maybe six months doing a strategic plan and then some circumstance in your environment changes and that plan becomes redundant COVID's a good example of that uh, people had a lot of plans and they just went uh, they had to throw them out and start again. And I think maybe losing that fear of a plan not working is if you're in any other context, let's say in the military, if plan A doesn't work, you've got to have, you would hope a plan B, C, C1, C2, D, all of these other contingencies in case something doesn't work out. And I'm not chalking it down to laziness, but I think humans being humans, if you've got the plan and you've been sold on the idea that the plan is the way forward, you, you maybe stop thinking at that point and go, well, it's all in the plan. But if the plan is then tossed out and you have no more plan, what do you do? And that's one of the criteria is quite often, Eric, for success is about that ability to be resilient, persistent and innovative to continually overcome those things that are put in front of you that um, that, that, that just aren't working. I mean, you know, just great example right here in the vineyard, just literally 20 metres to my right hand side is a little piece of vineyard that we have here at Paradise Rescue. I mean, all was going perfectly three weeks ago. Beautiful sunshine, blue skies, you know, a little bit of rain would have been nice, but um, instead of which we had a metre and a half. That throws a few challenges in front of your, your harvest because your beautiful green leaves and the new ones particularly, despite no matter how many micro organic treatments you've thrown at them, they suddenly start to look a bit like they're covered in mildew. And, and you've got to find a way around that. And as a team, you, you go at it. 
you, you can't just walk away and say, oh, too hard. We failed this year. Now, come on, people, we got to get, you know, let's get to it. And that's partly where the leader comes into that space in working to say, all right, what ideas have we got here? We can see what's happening. We know what the outcome will be. And it's nothing like the direction and goal we want. Let's, let's re, redo the strategy here. Let's work at it. And we're going to focus on that block and we're going to make it happen today. David, let, let me ask you the next in the next topic here. And this is around the nature versus nurture. In your estimation, are, are leaders born or are they made? No, leaders are made. Leaders is something that you learn. There are certain people, obviously, that come with certain attributes. And because of the circumstances we all have been in or parents or our family or whatever but you see a lot of incredible outstanding leaders around the world who've come from backgrounds that are yeah i mean you you wouldn't wish upon them <laughs> anything like that i mean I, you know i've been very fortunate i've had you know good education a loving family that got me going in life and and, and i've been fortunate to work in some fairly challenging but good environments where people were looking after me as well. But uh, no, there is, I don't think you're born particularly that way. It becomes through how we as an individual human being, our own personal attitude, how we take away the learnings, how we work with those circumstances and things and how we put them together in a certain way that helps us become better leaders and you do develop technique, you do develop ways to address situations and challenges and, and how we deal with that, um, I think, is comes with time. I've been fortunate to have a lot of, of mentors. I'm sure most of them would say that I learned nothing from them, but maybe I learned a little bit. And um, you've built that in. And I hope that in turn, I will be able to pass that on to other people and uh, on, a, on a daily basis and share that wisdom such that they can become great leaders as well. Now, for me, leaders are made, not born. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, and look, let, let me um, add, uh, maybe throw a grenade, hand grenade here and maybe um, <laughs> maybe expand some of the discussion a little bit. So previous podcast guest, Mike House, spoke to me on this one and he added a couple of elements that were really quite interesting. I, I'd like to get your take on this if I, if right. I can, David, that Maybe it's not so binary, the born or made, but there's two elements he brought in. He said, we as human beings need to actively make a choice to be a leader. So you either choose to be or don't choose to be. And that has a unique set of consequences one way or another. And the other element that he brought into it that I was really fascinated by, and, and I'm using this now in, in my discussions on, on leadership is around this idea about being a lifelong learner, that the nature versus nurture thing is only as good as whether or not you are oriented as a person to be a continual learner. Now, some people do that in a small sense. Some people don't want to do that and are happy to do what they do and not worry about the the ongoing learning. And, and I think what Mike was getting at is not necessarily formal learning university or TAFE or some course you pay for, but I think being a reflective human being is what I think he was getting at. And I just wanted to get your take on those two elements that Mike brought up. Would you agree, disagree? Would you add something yourself, Dave? Uh, there's, there's a lot of things you threw at me there to into that 
the sure, sure. We got we got time to chat, so please pick the one that uh, unpack some of this for me if you can. Yeah, I mean, look, one of the things I quite often uh, try and teach for people is to to go and have a hard look in the mirror of themselves, and you go, all right, you lost your lost your plot, boss, and you go, okay, go and have a look. And tell us what you see, because you're staring at the person who is wants to be the leader or is being a leader or is doing whatever. And one of the things, of course, we can't see as human beings in ourselves is we can't see our own eyes 99% of the times until we go to the mirror. But the person in the mirror is the person who is responsible for it all. And you're absolutely right about the choices. Go read some books by somebody called Shad Helmstetter and learn about those in li- things in life, because everything we pretty much we do or we make happen is a, is, is a choice. Some things happen by, uh, by by accident, I understand, and there are events in life that we don't want to happen, you know, that involve pain and suffering and, and all of that, and we, we don't wish for them. But some of those things are going to come. It's how you respond and react to them as a leader that, that determines your level of, of leadership, and it is about a choice. And you can learn over time. I mean, you know, as a, as a younger manager or whatever, my reactions would have been more, how shall I say, um, fast, furious and passionate, Um, sometimes probably outwardly rude, contemptuous and arrogant. And and you learn over time that maybe wasn't the way to deal with it. There are still times maybe where certain things do need to be knocked on the head at an appropriate point. But other times where you, you, if you want someone else probably to come on the journey, dismissing their ideas and throw them in a bucket is probably not the best way to go. It's not going to achieve the result you want. But it is about a series of conscientious choices. And um, I've kind of learned, you know, that it's it's in in that moment of decision that you know that our that our futures are created and it is about how you make those decisions and decisions are a choice and one of the things we fail to appreciate also that is failing to make a decision or a choice is also actually a decision it's a decision not to make a decision and that maybe isn't sometimes it is good to do that and to understand when the right time to do that but but at the end of the day it is still about a series of choices and a lot about how you deal with you know leadership stuff is all about your own personal attitude and attitude is you know is is again that that complex mixture of how you see the world and how you react to the world and there's quite often a few times where it is just better before you react just to say hold on a minute just think and listen <laughs> to what the message is before you react and put a Twitter post out that, um, you know, just destroys your credibility completely. So there's a big mixture of stuff in there. And I think you you do learn as you go on, you know, and it's all easy to say, that's just old age and waffle, but uh, there's a certain amount of stuff in there. It's not about how intelligent we are. It's about how wise we become. And that's the important change you learn in on that journey for emerging or younger leaders listening to these kinds of conversations uh, Typically, you might think, and maybe this is a bias of of those of us who are a bit longer in the tooth, that, yeah, you would say that because you're older and now you're looking back with uh, potentially rose-coloured glasses at a career. I, I don't. I don't buy into that so much. I think as you get more experience and, and if it's an age thing, it's an age thing. But for me, as you become more experienced in a job, particularly in a leadership role, you are learning from others all the time. And I think when you make the conscious decision or potentially uh, don't make that decision, but you start interacting in a way that is, is 
everything leadership, but with it, without the formal title, let's say, because you can take leadership roles without having the title. I think you start learning from others and it's, uh, I guess, one of the, um, oh, what's the word? Uh, one of the benefits of being the, the creatures that we are, that you do learn from others around you and, and hopefully you take some of that in. Uh, the, the bit that um, was of interest to me and, and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to tease this out more and more in, in the conversations I'm having and, and you've alluded to this, if, if not outright said it, you have to have a degree of self-reflection. If you can't look at yourself and become a better practitioner in, in the leadership game, let alone have a uh, the gene to, to be introspective, you're not going to be your best self. And that's not just at work. That's just people generally uh, find it difficult to be introspective because asking questions about your motivations and why you do what you do uh, can be an e- unsettling thing for your ego or for your sense of self but i think it's a healthy thing to do if, if you can get to that point and difficult to do it is it isn't something that comes naturally i mean you know, certainly as a leader i've had uh, a number of conversations i'm sure plenty have had, been had with me as well but i you know i you've had conversations with people where they have you've actually asked the question and um yeah you kind of get a bit of a blank look back which sort of tells you that hmm not this is something this is something we've got to learn better the challenge with also that some of that is about getting an accurate self-reflection because there's a lot of people out there who sometimes look at that mirror and I'm not quite sure what the reflective material is on it. It's like, oh, I missed that and I didn't see it. Yeah, it that's, imp- that's a good point. It's, it's yeah. important. Yeah, and, and it, it's fair to say that those that do take take the plunge to be a bit more self-reflective if they're doing it genuinely will find something that needs to be addressed that you can work on it's not not so much what you got wrong is potentially is there a different way to look at a topic could i have handled things better um and it yeah it's it's a difficult it is a difficult thing to do look david i appreciate your time before we go one last question i'm very interested to see how what you have to say to this looking back on your career profit, not for profit and the things that you're doing now, if you could go back in time, what would you say to a younger version of yourself about being a more effective leader? Pay more attention to the wisdom that was around me at a a younger age. I think probably being at the same time more adventurous and having taken some probably some I'm always careful using the word risk, but um, I mean, I'm probably more personal risk than than, because I've come out of an industry where you talk about risk, everybody thinks about safety and, you know, environmental stuff and all that. And and I'm not really talking about that, but I'm thinking in terms of some of the things in life I probably, you know, should have done and would have liked to have done earlier. And it would have led to different different results. But you're in different worlds and life's a fun adventure. And as long as you look at it that way and you, you come away with some some good times it's you know you come away with with memories and um and achievements and everything and it's again how you look at them is is the category and the context into which you put all of them but yeah look i think now looking back on it you know and some of the adventures i'm embarking on now i think oh would have been great if i'd had a you know started this 20 years ago so i would say you know if you've got an idea or something out there um go and have a go at it because you'll learn about yourself and your own capabilities and your leadership ability very much more quicker when you've got some some passion behind it and something you want to make happen rather than an environment where you are paid to be in a job or something like that nothing wrong with jobs they're great and they, that suits a lot of people and amen there are people who, who who are around who want to help and do stuff in that manner but if you've got some ideas and you want to be a better leader go and do something earlier in your life rather than waiting for it to come to you 
David, thank you for your time. For those listening, I've been speaking to David Stannard, who is the owner-director of Paradise Rescued and the chief vision officer of The Vision Guy. Thank you for your time, mate. Thank you very much indeed, Eric. It's been a pleasure. For those listening, this has been Talking Leadership. I'll catch you all on the next podcast.